God is the judge at the end. No matter how much power you amass in your life, you stand before God at the end and you are powerless and he is the one with all the power. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. Ecclesiastes. I'll say this about Ecclesiastes. Of the five poetic books or the five books of wisdom, Ecclesiastes is probably my favorite, personally. So you've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Those are the five poetic books in the Old Testament. And um, of those books of wisdom, Ecclesiastes is, is definitely my favorite. It's one of the ones that I, I always recommend people to read, uh, probably second only to the Gospel of John, in terms of where do I start biblically. I just, I love this book. It is also, in Jewish tradition, part of five books that get read during particular ceremonies or feasts. Those would be uh, Ruth, Esther, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and Lamentations. And the book of Ecclesiastes is read uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. It is an interesting book. It's written by Solomon near the end of his life, probably around approximately 931 BC. He is really reflecting on something we still do today. As you near the end, you look at everything you've accomplished in your life, what you've done, um, or even during the midpoint of your life, what is this all about? What is the point of all of this is really what Solomon is getting to. He seeks out answers to the purpose of everything, the purpose of life. What effect can he have on it? What does actually bring joy that's lasting? He looks into all of this and he wants to know what is the point of it all. It's really, there are lots of ways to break the book up, but this is how I'll suggest that we look at it, and this is how we'll look at it tonight. Really, the first four chapters are Solomon's curiosity. It's his search for what is the point of it all. He seeks out pleasure and joy and happiness, and he tries everything. And the first four chapters are really that curiosity and search. The first four chapters, curiosity. Chapters 5 through 10 is really his contemplation. After that search... He is contemplating what all of it brought about. These are his pieces of wisdom from his search, what he learns from everything that he tried. And then chapters 11 and 12 are the conclusion. 
after a life of incredible wealth in immense power, nothing really being restricted from him as he is the king and the most powerful man on earth at the time. What does he learn from everything he experienced? What does he conclude is the purpose of it all? That's chapters 11 and 12. So we're going to go through as much of the book as we can. We're really going to start heavy in the beginning and focus a lot on the conclusion. In the middle, we're going to kind of just go over the themes uh, and pick out some pieces there that really point out what Solomon is trying to say. So let's open up the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, and start reading. So, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Now what you see through the book of Ecclesiastes is that phrase consistently being repeated, under the sun. That's really important because it contrasts his conclusion. So stay hold in understanding what he's pointing out is the life that we live, this temporary life on this earth under the sun. This to him seems pointless. When we get to the conclusion, you'll see how the contrast exists. But that phrase happens over and over and over again. And so what he's pointing out is this temporary life on earth and the focus of it. What is the point of it all? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the north and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Men cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with, filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembering of former things nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. And so Solomon's opening statement is, this is all a waste. Vanity of vanities. Everything is just vanity. Everything is vain. Everything is self-consumed. Nothing happens. What you do doesn't change anything. doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how good you are, how bad you are, how much power you have, how much wealth you have, doesn't matter. The sun still rises the next day. You can't stop it. The earth is still there. You can't stop it. What you do doesn't change all that much around you. What is the point? This is the search. This is the curiosity within Solomon. Verse 12, he says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek out and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which we may be exercised. Now, I'm going to read that part again because this is really how why the book exists. This is Solomon himself in his position, being as wealthy and powerful as he is, having the best access to seek out everything under heaven. 
He is the one who does this. So he says, he sets his heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things done under heaven. This burdensome task that God has given to the sons of man, which they may be exercised. Verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. He basically states, he himself is going to seek out everything that's possible. All of the things that this world can offer you. And he's going to experience as much of it as he can. And after he has, what he says is it's all just pointless, grasping at nothing. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and my heart, and I set my heart to know wisdom and know madness and folly. I perceive that it is also grasping for the wind. Even in the things he sees in his life as obtaining greatness, he sees as pointless at this point. Let's skip down to chapter 2. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this was also vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what, the good, what good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants, and I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. And Solomon is basically here going, look at everything I've done. I've done good works. I've, I've obtained for myself all of the material wealth. I've ha I have real estate and land and flocks and money. Look at all that I have for myself. I even drown myself in wine and joy and all of it still seems to be nothing. It says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor with which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. And so what he says, he gained all this wealth. He even gained wealth from the other kings. He took of their possessions. He enjoyed all of the subjective things like music and art. He took it all in. He, he gained everything. He didn't withhold anything from himself. And even in the moments he was able to enjoy what he was getting and accomplishing, searching after and seeking after the pleasures of this world, at the end, it's pointless. It's just grasping for the wind. Nothing was profited under the sun here on this earth, for this temporary life. And so you might be thinking to yourself at this point, this is depressing. And yeah, 
you're right, it is depressing. And oftentimes, Ecclesiastes gets put into this box of this depressing book because people are most familiar with the first four chapters. Solomon's search, Solomon's curiosity, where he goes on seeking for joy and pleasure and finding out that it all leads to nothing. And yeah, that is depressing. But when we get to his conclusion, it won't be. Let's pick up in verse 17. <clears throat> after all of this and his conclusion, he, after also pointing out the difference between wisdom and folly, he says this, Therefore, I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun, again that phrase, was distressing to me for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. I don't know if you've caught the theme here, but things are pointless under the sun is ultimately Solomon's repeated saying. So then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And yet who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun, this is also vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor for which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labor and for striving of his heart, for which he has toiled under the sun. For all his days are sorrowful, and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This is also vanity. Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat, or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind. And now he he recaps some of this, some of what he's saying and basically going, after all that I've obtained, after all I've experienced and enjoyed, I have all of this wealth, but I don't take it with me. In fact, when I go, someone takes over everything I've obtained. And I am here as the ruler of Israel. Someone will take my throne when I'm gone. And I don't get to choose whether they're wise or foolish with it. This is ridiculous. It's all pointless. When I leave, nothing changes. The world doesn't change because I'm in it, and the world doesn't change when I'm gone. It all keeps going, and I don't get to choose what happens to what I leave to the world. It can be wasted. And then maybe the most famous section from Ecclesiastes is the beginning of chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from, from that in which he labors? 
I have seen the God-given task which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. And so this chapter 3 is really this drawn-out idea of everything happens. <laughs> you don't get to change it. You can't make everything good all the time. You can't make everything bad all the time. It goes on as it always has. There's time for war, time for peace, time for good, time for evil, time to live, time to die. It all just goes on as always. So enjoy what you have. Enjoy the good of your labor because that's the gift of God. In verse 14 and 15, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. And we're starting to get to see the wisdom of Solomon. He says, whatever God does, it's forever. You can't take away from it. You can't add to it. God should be feared. He's recognizing as the most powerful man on the planet, the limitations of his power in comparison to God, because he cannot affect the earth like God can. He says, that, that, which, it, that which is has already been, and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. And so no matter what I do, no matter how much effect I may or may not have on people's lives while I'm here, eventually I'm not, and God requires an account of me. So no matter how much power I get while I'm here, ultimately in the end, I'm powerless because I stand before a powerful God. In verse 17, he states, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. See, God is the judge. Let's skip over to chapter 4, where he says, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. And he points out the power of man is used for evil under the sun and how he relishes those who are already gone. Now remember Solomon's nearing the end of his, his life and he's looking back and he himself has been a man in power. And he is looking at what the world has done to people and they've become tools for those in power. And that makes him sad. In verse 8 he says, There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches, but he never asks. For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This is also vanity and grave misfortune. He points out here that sometimes the this, this seeking after of material good and riches and self, self, selfish behavior, self-consumed, conceited behavior leads to loneliness. It doesn't provide anything. This is vanity. 
and a grave misfortune. And then he goes into what it, why it's better to not be alone. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Consider the contrast of that from the previous verse. How much it really sucks to be alone and just be selfish, and you end up without help. Compare it to this, where a good friend, someone who is not alone, two are better than one, they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift them up, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two line down, Together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? It's a cold existence. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And, you know, that's a verse that often gets read at, at weddings, talking about the, how the, the power of two, the power of having a companion and a friend, but how much more powerful it is when God is intertwined in that relationship and it becomes really hard to break. Now we've gone through Solomon's curiosity and his search. Now we're going to look at some of his contemplation from what he's learned. So here we start out, and we're going to look at just a few of his sayings. We're going to skip quite a bit but and around. But we're going to open up in chapter 5, where he says this, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. And so in his first statement, as he moves really to this contemplation of what he's learned after all of this searching, is how reverent you should be as you approach God. And how much you should consider obedience over sacrifice. Because submitting to his authority is good. Those who don't are fools. In verse 2 it says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now that entire verse just reminds me of the book of Job. Where at the conclusion after all of Job's mourning with his friends and arguing back and forth with his friends, God speaks and God stands before Job speaking, saying, did you create the earth? Do you make the sun rise? Do you know the, the names of all the stars? Did you make the beasts of the earth? No, I did. And so God speaks from heaven. Don't ever put your pride above him. Be careful what you speak. And that's how Solomon starts his contemplation. Then he goes from understanding this reverence and fear of God to talking about profiting for yourself. In verse 10, he says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. And just that little bit speaks so much about our current culture. You know, I remember hearing an interview uh, this is a long time ago, but I hear, heard an interview of Will Smith. Now, Will Smith at one point, no longer, especially since the slap incident, but Will Smith at one point was the most popular actor in Hollywood, the highest paid actor in Hollywood. He had the number one movies at the box office for multiple years in a row every summer. 
And there was an interview where he would, had talked about how he thought if he could be the biggest actor on the planet, if he could have the biggest movies ever, that he would finally be satisfied. And after achieving it, he wasn't. And that's not an uncommon thing that we see with the rich and famous here in the West and in America. As you achieve what you think will make you happy, you don't. I actually, I just watched an interview from Matthew Perry, because Matthew Perry recently passed away. He was a member of the Friends cast. And he had said um, in this interview, about six weeks before he got the job for Friends, he asked God to make him famous and then do whatever he wanted to do with him. And then he said six weeks later, he got the part for Friends, and he got everything he asked for. He, was, he became famous and rich, and then God did do with him what he said he would do. And he's, what Matthew Perry said he found out is that what he thought would satisfy him didn't. It didn't take away his desire and addictions. It didn't take away his need for consuming alcohol at too high a rate. It didn't heal him from his problems, and it took much more suffering for him to come to the realization that he needed God. Because what he thought would solve his problem in fame and fortune did not. And so this verse, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. If you seek for the, for the cause of greed, there will never be enough because greed is an unending monster. There's never enough to satisfy. And that's true with all of the lusts of the flesh. If we skip down to verse 13, Solomon writes, There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept from their owner to his hurt, but those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. What profit has he who has labored for the wind? And this is this idea of earthly pursuits consuming for yourself and trying to gain wealth or power or influence or whatever it is. Whatever you gain, you cannot take with you. Not only can you not take it with you, whoever inherits it from you didn't earn it themselves and they don't have an understanding of the value or hard work it took to gain what you give them. And so this is what Solomon has learned through his search. Let's skip over to chapter 7 where we get this really interesting piece of advice from Solomon starting in verse 2 where he says, Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools is the house of mirth. <clears throat> and so what Solomon here is basically writing as he, as he begins chapter 7 is, if you are invited to both a wedding and a funeral on the same day, go to the funeral. The funeral is better. It's better to go to a place of mourning because it's better to contemplate your, your mortality. Because it's better to have a perspective on life that allows you to think about the big picture than the one that keeps you self-indulgent. In verse 5 he says, It's better to hear the, re 
rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It's always better to think about the big picture. It's better to hear wisdom than the joy of the moment. That's Solomon's point there. We're going to look at chapter 8 real quick, down in verse 8, where some of this wisdom comes to play. He says, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. And so in chapter 8, where he's talking about obeying authority, ultimately he comes down to really obeying the ultimate authority. No one has power over the spirit. No one has power in the day of death. Basically, the ultimate power is God. Obey the ultimate authority. And he points this out even further in verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I want you to understand the wisdom in this verse. Because what he's pointing out to is that death comes to everybody. God is the ultimate authority. God is the judge at the end. No matter how much power you amass in your life, you stand before God at the end and you are powerless and he is the one with all the power. But in verse 11, he points out the folly of man. Our misconception and misunderstanding. Because the sentence against evil work is not executed speedily. Because it takes a while for the consequences of evil to come into play, we lose sight of the judgment of God. And we pursue self-indulgent interests and the lusts of the flesh because we pursue temporary pleasure or sin or evil, whatever you want to call it. We pursue that because often the consequences of sin are not immediate. It's that analogy that we've gone to a few times, the cut flower. When you cut a flower off, when you cut a rose off the rose bush, it stays beautiful for a while before it starts to decay. But if it stayed attached to the rose bush, it would have stayed connected to the source of life and it would have lasted longer. But because it sustains itself for a little bit of time, that's mankind. We've been disconnected from the source, the life source. We've been disconnected from God through our sin. Uh, but because things seem hunky-dory for a short time, we think we're okay. And we end up in, de in decay. It says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, but because he does not fear before God. And his point is this, fear God, do right. Those who don't, don't recognize what's coming or how fast it can come. And there's nothing you can do to escape it. You can't prolong your days. You cannot escape the ultimate judgment that is eventually coming. On chapter 9, we'll skip down to verse 2. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath, 
This is an evil that is done under the sun, the one thing that happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. And so Solomon's point in all this is no matter who you are, good, bad, rich, poor, wealthy, you know, righteous, clean, unclean, whether you offer sacrifices or don't, doesn't matter who you are. One thing happens to everyone, and it's death. And it is because of the sin of mankind. There's no escape. Now, he spends some time again talking about wisdom and folly and the difference between it. And I highly recommend reading this book. It's my favorite. But we're going to skip down for the sake of time uh, to chapter 11, verse 9, as we go to his conclusion. Now, after Solomon has searched out in his curiosity all of the pleasures of the flesh, and then contemplated what he could learn from it, he finds out that everything's vanity, and you can't take anything with you no matter what you obtain. And the happiness of the flesh is very temporary and can sometimes lead to despair. After all of that, he comes to a final conclusion. And that conclusion starts in verse 9 of chapter 11. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. So he's speaking to the young, to the youth, saying, Yeah, have fun, be happy, find cheer, but remember, for everything you do will eventually come into judgment from God. Keep that in mind. And he says, Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. And Solomon begins his conclusion with this. When you're young, turn to God. When you're young, consider him. Live the abundant life early. Don't wait to do it. Don't give yourself over to the lusts of the flesh, which Solomon did. And he's saying, don't do what I did. It wasn't worth it. Consider God in your youth before life gets difficult, before you take on all this responsibility. Do it when you're young. Draw close to God as soon as possible. That's how he starts his conclusion. And he ends his conclusion with this in verse 9, starting in verse 9 of chapter 12. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. And Solomon is saying, yes, as the preacher, as the one who has gained this wisdom, he's going to teach you. He's even set out proverbs to help you understand wisdom as opposed to folly. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth, the words of the wise are like the goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And Solomon here is pointing out, yes, He's the one who's gained all this wisdom. He's gained all this knowledge, and he needs to share it with you. And he says, this is the conclusion. 
After all of this, a life without restricting himself from any pleasure of gaining and amassing more wealth and power and influence than anyone, this is what he finds out is important. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that's Solomon's conclusion. All of this, the point of it is fear God and keep his commandments. That's everything. God will bring everything into judgment. So what's the point? Solomon kept using this phrase, under the sun. Everything is vanity under the sun. Everything is grasping for the wind, toiling and laboring under the sun. What does this mean? Everything that we do here on this earth is vanity. It goes away. The lives that we live here are temporary because we all meet an end. And no matter how much impact we have or don't have, no matter how much we amass for ourselves and leave to someone else, no matter what we do, we can't control what they do when we leave it to them, and we can't take any of it with us. Everything stays here under the sun because the point of it all has nothing to do with how it ends here on earth. The point of it has nothing to do with what happens under the sun. The point of it is what happens in eternity. The point of all of this isn't about the temporary life we live on earth. The point of it is the eternal judgment that God is going to give us and where we end up in relationship with him in the end. Because the point of it isn't about what happens under the sun, but whether or not we give our hearts over to the son of God. Obey his commands. Fear God. Consider him first in your youth. Don't run away from him. That's everything. Because in the end, whether you liked what you did or you didn't, whether you enjoyed some of your time or didn't, in the end, you'll recognize you didn't need to make more money because your end is going to come whether or not you made enough or not. You didn't need to have more stuff because death is going to come whether or not you got enough or you didn't have enough. But what does matter is what happens to you on Judgment Day because it's not about our temporary time on earth. It's about eternity, and that's Solomon's conclusion. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this wisdom, and thank you for, thank you for this contemplation This thing that we all face, mortality. This thing that we all deal with, what is our purpose? And the question of what impact do I make? I think it's pretty clear from Solomon's words that our impact is useless if it's only for us, if it's only about earthly pursuits. But we can be part of a bigger story, your story, and be a part of that eternal life that goes on. So we don't have to worry so much about what happens under the sun, but what happens in eternity. Help us to have the wisdom to think like that, to think with an eternal mind, and to share that wisdom with those who need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.